Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Ardina Osman, here with my friend and club, Ruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Moed Katan, daf Chet, page eight. So we have three Mishnahs here that are going to talk about other things that we can or cannot do on Chol Moed. Um, and many of them revolve around sort of two extremes of the human experience, morning practices and weddings. Um, and Ann and I are just going to switch off today. So I'll start with the first Mishnah. Ve'odamar Rabbi Meir. So Rabbi Meir states that one of the things that we're allowed to do in Chalamoid is a person can gather the bones of his father or mother. So the way that people used to be buried is that they would sort of bury the corpse uh, in a temporary grave. But then after it had decomposed and really was just bones, then the bones would be collected and they would actually be buried in a permanent grave. Often it would be like um, a, a vault or something like that. Um, you can see these throughout Israel. They have places where they find these like archaeological sites where you can find these. Um, and sort of you would put the bones of uh, a whole family or, you know, all the ancestors um, or things like that together. Um, so that's what this is referring to. And so the question that Rabbi Mayer is dealing with is, is one allowed to do that collection of the bones and re you know, inter them on Chalamoid. And he says, yes, because it's basically a source, a source of joy for him. Okay. Which is interesting. We'll obviously talk about that. Rabbi Yossi, Amer, Abel Hulo. And Rabbi Yossi says, no, because it's actually a source of mourning for him. <coughs> yes. The person might be happy that he can finally bury or bring, you know, his parents bones to the, you know, ancestral grave, but, you know, it's still thinking about their death and this would make a person sad on Cholomoid, which we don't want to have happen. Lo yorer adam almeto. A person also cannot yorer, and the Gemara explains what that means. It means sort of a type of mourning or eulogizing that would take place about a, about a dead person. And 30 days before um, a uh, uh, one of the holidays where you're a little regal, Pesach, Shavuot, or Sukkot, a person is also not allowed to do um, a eulogy. And so the Gemariar begins with a discussion uh, sort of contradicting Rabbi Mayer's opinion that, yes, maybe someone would be happy uh, because they can finally sort of bring their parents' bones to sort of their final resting place. They bring here a brysa that basically says, right, somebody who does this, you know, gathering of his father's or mother's uh, bones, how raise them he actually is to act as a mourner uh, till the evening. And in fact, we actually keep this halakha today. If for some reason, somebody needs to move a grave, right? Anybody who had to sit shiva for that person actually needs to sort of sit shiva again for a day uh, in that process of sort of uh, moving moving uh, the body again. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then finally, we have here for Amarita, Afilu Tzurin Lobesid now, right? This is even the case where he has them bundled up in his sheet, um, meaning that um, even if he doesn't, you know, if, if he doesn't, uh, he doesn't gather them from the temporary grave, but sort of just puts them up in his sheet, you know, and, and, and is going to bury them later. Uh, it, it, but it shows us that basically this act of gathering the bones is really considered to be sort of, um, sort of a sad act. And so therefore, Amabaye says, Ema, Ema, what Abai says is that what Rabbi Mayer means is it's not that someone's happy to have to re, you know, bury 
their parents bones, but it's rather that they feel less pain, less sadness doing that on the Cholomoid because the joy of the Chag is so overwhelming that they actually won't be as, uh, they won't be as sad. I, you know, I think that's an interesting perspective. I think Abai is somehow trying to justify this rather unusual opinion of Rabbi Mayer um, and try to explain it. You know, I, I think this is like a particular type of, you know, could you really buy into what Abai says? I think a lot of that, you know, uh, sort of depends on what the circumstances were in which maybe you lost your parents. Um, you know, how do you relate to Chag? It's a puzzling thought. You know, Rabbi Mayer's statement is puzzling. And I also think Abaye's sort of understanding or twist on Rabbi Mayer uh, is, also, uh, is also puzzling. The only thing I can think is that there may be some, like, um, peace of mind, right, in being able to bring your parents' bones to the final resting place. So maybe there's something to be said for that. Like, I wouldn't necessarily think of that as you know, any kind of rejoicing, but I don't know. Like it's, a I, I hear that, thing. but it's still a weird thing for Rabbi Mayer to say when it's a day that you're supposed to have Simcha on, right. That like, that's the activity. And I think Abaye's, you know, explanation is even also strange, but I totally agree with you. I think there's a, but we wouldn't describe that emotion as joy, what you're saying. No, right. right. It's a relief, a satisfaction, something contentment. Right. Exactly. A contentment, but it's not one of joy. I agree with you. I also want to just note that this, to me, a little bit um, heralds the third chapter of Moed Katan, where we're going to start talking about the laws of mourning, which I was surprised to find this mission here, because I feel like, why didn't they just save it for then? I guess because now we're talking about Cholomoid, so this is where it appears. <laughs> Excuse but, me. Yeah, I, right. No, 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 I agree with you. We're going we're gonna to hear more of this later on. All right. Next okay. Mishnah. Next Mishnah. So again, this speaks to everything you've just described, Yordana, about the way they would bury back then. You know, the claim here is a position is not to dig crypts or graves on Cholomoyed. And particularly here, the implication is you don't dig in advance for somebody who's still alive. But you can adjust a crypt that has already been dug, what, you know, let's say it was prepared in advance of the holiday, and now you're in Cholomoy. And now it's your, you know, unfortunately, the person has died, so you can adjust the crypt that's there, um, but you couldn't start the digging at this point. Uh, but just let's just think one second for, about that case. What that means is there's a preparation of the crypt in the assumption that somebody was going to die really soon. And then they held out, basically, until Cholamoid. Because otherwise, why would you start digging in advance? Okay, the Mishnah continues. You can also, this is, I think, interesting. You can construct a pond, right, basically for doing laundry on Cholamoid. And you likewise can set up a coffin in the courtyard, right, again, in the, the home where someone has died. Rabbi Huda Omer, Rabbi Huda says, unless, Rabbi Huda says, you cannot make that coffin unless you already have the wooden boards with you. Meaning, they've been cut before the Chag. You've, all you have to do is kind of affix them together. Um, as opposed to it being, you know, the beginning of making a coffin. And I feel like, besides the fact that it's a little bit, I don't know, morbid, maudlin, something, 
right, to start focusing too much on this. I think there's really just the practical side of what happens when, God forbid, somebody passes away over over the holiday, and now you have to bury me. You don't want to leave that person. We have a principle of burying as fast as possible. We're not going to leave that person out, you know, the body out till the end of the holiday. But on the other hand, what happens if you don't have those that would, you know, set up ready to go to begin with? Um, I just want to note that the Gemara here acknowledges the question between, you know, what is the difference between kuchin and kvarot, meaning crypts and and graves? And the question is, you know, are you digging or are you building? Um, which I think I would say that the crypt is building and the grave is digging. Um, although the Gemara here seems to suggest the opposite, that, that kuchin, that's the word that gets translated to be crypts, is bechafira and kvarot bebinyan. Um, graves are with building, but this I think is a, simply a matter of a different understanding of the translation more than anything else. Um, I think. Okay, and now I just want to establish what's the laundry pond because that seems to have nothing to do with this at all, right? What's a laundry pond? Rabbi Yehuda says this is a ditch that was dug into the ground and then the purpose is to make laundry. Habakia, sorry. So the Gemara says, one second, we've got a bright that uses both terms, so they must not be the same thing. So Abai says, or maybe it was Rav Kahana who said it, that there's a pond and then there's a smaller pond. So you've got a laundry pond that's bigger than a laundry ditch. Okay. And really, this is what they did. Meaning this is how they, how they did their laundry. Why this is in the middle of the discussion of the burials I think it's simply a matter of, the Gemara kind of alludes to this going on, that as you prepare the body for burial, there is some amount of, you wash the clothing, and, you know, the, you prepare them as tachrich, as, as shrouds, and then, and then you're, you know, that's part of, the, that's part of the whole process. So I suppose if you had no opportunity to do that laundry, this point is that you could actually dig the ditch if you needed to on Chloboyed. But it's also interesting because there are issues about doing laundry on Chalamoe. So I found that to be also part of the puzzle that didn't totally make sense to me. Uh, and the Gemara sort of doesn't even acknowledge that at all. So I, so I, I don't know. I, I didn't quite understand. I agree with you. I think it's sort of interesting that it sort of, you know, fits, it fits its way into here. And I think also the fact that this is not our... M.O. nowadays in the modern era is why it doesn't quite make sense to us. Meaning, if this was exactly our tradition, then we would smile and nod and, and move on. We would know exactly what, it ta- what it's talking about. Right, exactly. Um, I'm going to go into the last Mishnah here. Ain't no seen nashim b'moed. Okay, so we don't marry a woman on Cholomoed. Uh, certainly this Mishnah is very much being written from the male perspective here. Lo bitulo velo almanot velo miyabim mipinesha simcha hilo. Um, and we don't do this on a festival, right? On, we're talking about on, on Cholomoy, basically. But, and we don't do this uh, for a woman who's a virgin or a widow. And you also cannot do, uh, you know, yibum, right? So that was the process by which if, uh, you know, a couple were, was married and the husband died with no children and he had a single uh, brother who was also not married. Um, so the wife would marry um, that husband and the idea is they would have, you know, one child together, at least, who sort of uh, would carry on the name of that deceased brother. So that marriage is one that's called Yibum. We'll, we will get to that. That will be our first Masachet uh, 
when we're done with uh, Seder, um, uh, Moed is Yavamod, and we'll talk all more than anybody would ever <laughs> think they could know about then. Um, and the reason for this is because it is a, it's simcha for the person getting married, for, the, for this man who's getting married. But what is he allowed to do? Um, he is allowed to remarry his wife that he was divorced from because you're not as happy about that. Also an interesting observation. A woman can do all of her usual cosmetic things or treatments that she does on uh, Cholomoed. Rabbi Yehuda, Omer Rabbi Yehuda says, Lo tasud, right? He says she doesn't put lime on. Because it makes her look, uh, you know, it makes her look uh, yucky for a little bit. So we know that, you know, when you do like a chemical peel, which is basically what lime is, right? Your face could be red or it doesn't look so nice. And that would make a person not as happy as they should be on uh, on Cholomoed. Uh, tofer kedarko, right? A, a layman, a, re- a regular person, not a craftsman, can sew sort of their regular way, right? So basically you could sew your button, fix a hem, all that kind of stuff. Vahauman machlif, right? Whereas a craftsman can only do temporary stitches. They can't do sort of their skilled work on Cholomoed. Umasrigin etamitot, Somebody can interweave like cords that attach to the frames of bed that a mattress was on. Rabbi Yosef Omer, Mam Rabbi Yosef said you can just tighten the cords, but you can't actually weave them. Now, obviously, the most interesting thing here about this Mishnah is this concept of right? What does this mean? That it's a source of joy and therefore uh, you're not allowed to get married. We would think the opposite. If it's a source of joy, of course, then you should be allowed. Actually, we would think that Chalmoy would be a great time for a wedding. My hubby. So what what is this? Right? Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Vachain Amar Rav Yelazar, Amar Rav Yoshia, Amri Lay, right? And this is, uh, some would say, right, what are they, uh, some would say, Amar Rav Yelazar, Amar Rav right? So three different traditions of who this source actually comes from, right? And this is a very interesting concept that we see, that we don't mix joy with joy. That in other words, things need to be celebrated separately. So for example, how does this play out practically? So you can't mix the joy of Cholomoid with the joy of a wedding. Uh, today, where you will see this is, we don't hold, you, do, you don't do a double wedding. Like you can't have, you know, two people get married basically at the same ceremony in the same party. Um, probably the one that most people have seen is, I don't know if you've been to a bris of twin boys. So for example, you do the bris of one, you basically like stop everything and then you do the second break. They don't bring in both babies at the same time because the idea is each one is its own simcha. And you were going to say something? Not yet. Keep going. Oh, okay. Keep going. Okay. Rabba Barhuna Amar. So Rabba Barhuna says, So Rabba Barhuna says, it's not because we don't mix simcha with simcha. It's more that instead of fully participating in the simcha of the regal, he's going to not participate in as much because he's going to be more busy with the simcha of, of, of his marriage. And then finally, we have Amar Le'abai Rabbi Yosef. So Abai says to Rabbi Yosef, remember, this is his Rebbe, Ha'derabba Barhuna Deravhu. So this statement of Rabbi Barhuna is actually the opinion of Rab. To Amar Rab Daniel Barkitna Amar Rab, Minayin She'en Nosin Nashim Bamoed. Right, how do we know that we don't marry uh, a, a woman on Chal Moed? Right? So they quote the where we get the mitzvah of Simcha from, from Devarim chapter 16, verse 14. Right? Right? There's something that you're really supposed to be focused on 
the simcha of the holiday and not be distracted by the simcha of something else. Um, Ula Amar, Ula says, right, what's the reason? Mipneha Torah, right? That it's, 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 you know, it's a lot of preparations. There's a lot, we all know, like, yes, the wedding is fun, but leading up to the wedding, <coughs> there's a lot to do. And that's not always uh, so, uh, not always so fun. Uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Napcha Amar, so Rabbi Yitzchak Napach said, so this is actually an interesting one, that you'll have the neglect of the mitzvah to have children, right? That in other words, if you were allowed to get married during Cholomoed, people maybe would actually delay getting married. They would wait till Cholomoed to get married because then you sort of would save money because you're going to have to make a lot of food for Chag anyway. So now you're just going to make a party on Cholomoed. So you actually would save, you, you would save some expenses. And what he was worried is people would actually sort of push off uh, getting, uh, would push off getting married. Um, and then, you know, finally, uh, the, now they bring a brisa after that, that sort of, you know, is a difficulty for all four of these opinions. So now we have this interesting brisa that says, okay, maybe you can't get married on Cholmoed, but you could get married Erev Chag. And so this is still, this is a problem uh, for all of these opinions. And then th- this, I now got onto the next stop. And the next step is going to go through each one of these opinions to show how it actually getting married Erev Chag actually uh, uh, still still works with it. Um, so, you know, an interesting Mishnah. And again, I think this concept of, you know, the, the most famous opinion, I would say, of all of these is the one about, um, uh, you know, mixing She'en um, Ma'arvin Simcha B'Simcha. Like we definitely do see other practical halachic uh, applications of this principle. Which I think just makes a, a very sharp point of what it means to really have like kavana or in some kind of intent, some kind of spiritual focus. I'm not exactly sure even how to characterize it, but the idea that we've got different intent for different smachot, meaning the wedding simcha is different from the holiday simcha, is its own kind of like wait, maybe we need to think about each one of these machot in a different kind of way when we come to it. I want to also note, and I feel my parents actually got married on Purim night. Um, and I remember asking, exactly, I mean, years later, they had been married already a good long time, when I asked in learning this discussion of Ein Marvin Simcha Basimcha, and I was told by the Magid here at the time, he said, no, it's not an issue because Purim doesn't have that essence of a particular kind of yant- of of simcha the way yantif does, or, or I guess cholamoid. It's just a matter of like marbim simcha. You just want more rejoicing, no matter what kind of joy that it is. It can happen on Purim, and you're good to go. So it's an in- so again, I say like if Purim is just a time of any old kind of rejoicing, marbim That's what we want to do on on Purim. It doesn't need that same kind of intent, apparently, as compared to, as we say here, cholamoid, a wedding, and so on. Yeah, I think that that comparison to Purim is very interesting. Like the joy of Purim is different than the joys on these days. And maybe one requires more intent, less intent. Uh, but that that's a great point to raise. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff in our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.